You're listening to the Domecast, where news and observer journalists take a look back and forward in North Carolina politics. And welcome to another edition of the Domecast, where we look back at politics and government in North Carolina, and we also look ahead. I am Andy Curlis with the News and Observer. I'm here with Pat Gannon. And Ben Brown of The Insider will hear later from Colin Campbell and Lynn Bonner making her first appearance on the Domecast. We have a good show for you. We're going to talk about incentives, the Volvo deal. We'll talk about the budget, which is rolling out in the House. And, of course, we'll get to our headliners of the week. Before we get started on really the incentives and uh, a big uh, story throughout the week, was the the Volvo deal announced in South Carolina, prompting an incentives debate. And, of course, it had Governor McCrory, who's been trying to get an incentives package through, talking early in the week in Raleigh about the need to compete. I had a wonderful lunch today with uh, Tim Moore and Phil Berger at the Executive Mansion, talking about the next steps we need. And there was agreement that we need to take steps to pass... an NC competes bill to ensure that we are not only just competitive with South Carolina or Tennessee or Virginia, but competitive with all the other southeastern states that are led primarily by Republican governors that are as aggressive and bold as I'm attempting to be, and I am, who are competing against us as Carolina and Duke competes against each other in basketball. And so Ben Brown with the Insider, what's he talking about? What what happened and uh, what's going on there? Okay, so we knew last week that North Carolina was out of the running for the Volvo cars plant. You know, Volvo has been looking to improve its sales in the U.S. and boost its profile. And it leaked out a few months ago through the British media that um, that Volvo was shopping in the southeast for a good site to build a new plant. Uh, would have been a big kahuna for North Carolina. The governor and other economic development folks have been raring to get a car manufacturer here. But we found out Monday who did get it, and that's South Carolina. They put up uh, more than $200 million bucks in various incentives. Uh, some reports are drifting up to $300 million. I, I, I think it depends on what you throw in there, uh, counting as incentives. But uh, and, and I'll let Pat talk more about that in a minute. But it's, it's pretty big news for South Carolina, you know, like 4,000 direct jobs over time, a $500 million investment. It's the first Volvo plant in the U.S., and it comes essentially right after Mercedes-Benz vans pick the same area. I think it was around Charleston for a new plant. Um, and those are definitely those aren't the first, you know, South Carolina upsets for North Carolina. You know, there's a lot of political fallout after the Continental Tire thing a few years ago. Again, picking South Carolina instead of North Carolina, and every time the focus falls on incentives and how North Carolina, you know, maybe should have done more in that regard. A lot of blame game. I'll turn it over to Pat to talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, Pat, so so w- w- there's a lot of arguing over this, and as of right now, not a lot of resolution, it seems. No, this is a, a every-year debate in North Carolina, has been for years and years, even going back to when Democrats were in power. How much is too much in incentives? That's a big question. And, of course, this Volvo deal, South Carolina land in the Volvo plant, has put a spotlight on it again, not that it needed a spotlight. It, you know, the issue already divides Republicans and Democrats alike. Um, there are Republicans who, who are okay with incentives. There's Republicans who, who, who despise any type of incentive. And this is all playing into the budget uh, debate this year. Um, how far should we go? The House has its own plan. 
um, which it passed. The Senate has done nothing with it. The Senate uh, passed a kind of a, a minor uh, tweak to give the governor a little more money in his main incentives program. The House has done nothing with that. So this all goes into the to the budget. We had uh, the governor and his commerce secretary last week coming out and saying, you know, we really need this incentives, a stronger incentives package to be able to compete with states like South Carolina, Georgia, Tennessee, et cetera. Um, Tim Moore told me last week that even with uh, the package that the House has passed, it wouldn't have been able to compete with South Carolina for the Volvo plant. We have the Senate. A lot of the senators just don't like incentives at all and would rather keep cutting taxes. So this is a um, a debate that I don't see going away. It's a debate that, that um, it's going to come down to the final days of session probably in terms of uh, what's going to happen and, and what kind of package they're going to move forward to. And one other thing kind of related is auto plants. There, there's several sites in North Carolina that could take an, an automobile plant and um, that are big enough to, to, to uh, fit an auto plant and that have been discussed as possible locations for an auto plant. Most of them are in somewhat rural areas, if not very rural areas. We've heard a lot of talk this session about, about helping rural areas compete with uh, the Raleigh's and Charlotte's and Winston-Salem's and Wilmington's and Asheville's of the state. Um, so in order to do, the best way probably to do that would be to land one of these huge auto plants in, in one of these rural areas. So how much is too much to pay to, to uh, spur the economy in a rural area? And that's, that plays in the incentives debate, debate as well. And it really does get into the, the pure philosophical uh, debate where you have, and it's within the Republican Party right now who happens to be in charge. There are, there are many who just will not go for incentives. That's been the Republican Party position in this state for a long time. Yeah, they they say it's unfair tax policy to favor one certain industry or business over another. They say it's picking and win, picking winners and losers, which we hear just about every day up here in in one debate or another. Uh, that the state shouldn't be picking winners and and losers. It should be the the free market that that drives decisions of of companies. And then you have existing companies here. Uh, maybe let's say for example a furniture company who doesn't get any incentives. And then the state tries to lure another uh, furniture company that's going to compete with the, the existing furniture company, and they get in incentives, making it kind of an unfair uh, competition. Mm -hmm. And Ben Brown, of course, the South Carolina and Georgia were the other states in that's the right. mix. They're both governed by Republicans, mm -hmm. right? That's correct. And go ahead. South Carolina and Georgia definitely seem to be the repeat competition states. Every single time... This comes up. South Carolina and Georgia seem to be so Continental Tire. I'm thinking, you know, that's South Carolina. Then the Caterpillar thing, that was Georgia. Georgia is also known for the film stuff. I mean, the, those are the two states that always seem to be the ones to beat that are on the map. Mm -hmm. Well, it's certainly going to. This was going to be right to the end. It sounds like in this session, and it'll be interesting to watch. Let's take a short break, and we'll be back and talk a little bit about the budget. Each year, over 200,000 children are treated at Duke Children's Hospital and Health Care Center for a wide range of medical conditions, from common childhood illnesses to life-threatening diseases. Knowing your gift could change a child's life, make your donation at newblue.com and receive a free download of our latest single, Family Quilt, along with other special offers from participating sponsors. Donate today and become part of our Family Quilt. And we're back. Welcome to the Domecast, our weekly podcast where we look 
back at politics and government in North Carolina. And look ahead, we are here now with Lynn Bonner of the News and Observer and Colin Campbell. The State House began rolling out its version of the budget this past week. Uh, Governor McCrory's budget, of course, was out earlier this year, and the budget process really started rolling in the, the past week and will continue into the coming week. And we started, Lynn Bonner, to see some differences between what the House was rolling out and what the governor had proposed. Uh, help, help us understand what's going on there. Well, the House decided not to fund NC Gear, which is one of the governor's signature programs for government efficiency. Uh, they were less than enthused by the um, the debut of NC Gear a couple of weeks ago, uh, and decided, well, it shouldn't be institutionalized. Um, some pushback on that from uh, the governor's people saying it, you know, it it's it's really necessary, but legislators uh, don't seem to to take that same view. Some changes in the education budget, some changes in the university budget, an increase for vouchers in uh, the state house budget. Um, a lot of the big things that we're going to see, I think, are going to come next week when we see how the house handles raises. That's a big topic, especially for state employees, whether they're going to have some kind of across-the-board raise or an, um, a targeted raise for state employees and a lot of other tax and fees um, issues that are com- going to come out next week. It was even though there were some levels of detail. Um, I think the governor had proposed a $4 million building for the DMV. Right. That went away, exactly. uh, right? Yeah. And uh, there's some changes, too, in how they want to handle the proceeds from the Dorothea Dix sale. The governor had that sort of spread out in community programs and paying for um, the new Broughton Hospital out west while the house decided well we'll just pay for broughton out of the general fund and put some money away for um, a mental health trust fund and for outfitting uh, local hospitals to handle mental health patients Mm -hmm. so yeah there are changes um, and differences throughout the budget now colin uh, this is not all that unusual at this stage of things so walk us through sort of where we are in the process and what's going to be happening here in this coming uh, week. Well, one of the key differences between what the governor put out is the governor was basing uh, his budget projections on the revenue numbers that were available back in March, and they were a lot less sunny then. At that point, we were looking at a potential deficit. Uh, Now they're talking about a a $400 million surplus, and that's allowed the House budget writers a little bit more flexibility. So some of the cuts to, for example, the university system are – Uh, less in the House version than what we originally saw when the governor's proposal came out. Uh, So that's all sort of, uh, I guess, a little bit more fine-tuned now than than the original proposal. Looking ahead, we're now in sort of the the very preliminary stages of the budget. We saw all the program-related sort of spending elements in in each category in each state agency uh, yesterday, Thursday of this week. Um, And then over the weekend, the House budget writers will be going uh, back to the drawing boards and, and tweaking their final documents. So the big, you know, several hundred page document will be out either late Sunday night or uh, early Sunday morning with the idea that that's going to get them go to the House Finance Committee for a big debate on Monday afternoon. They'll be talking about uh, whether there's uh, going to be economic development incentives in some form as part of the budget, uh, whether we'll see any tax changes, uh, what we'll see in terms of raises for employees, 
whether teachers will get more than that $35,000 starting salary that's been talked about for a while. So a lot still to come and a ton of debate next week. There's the hope that it'll be passed out by Thursday or perhaps Friday, and then it goes to the Senate. In time for uh, the Memorial Day weekend, is that right? Yeah. So pay raises, uh, have you talked to anybody uh, about that? What have you learned as we head into into that on pay raises? Always a big topic among a large uh, workforce in state government. Well, when the governor's budget came out, the focus was on targeted pay increases, that we wouldn't see an across-the-board increase for state employees this year, but that they would find a way to increase salaries in hard-to-fill, hard-to-retain positions in, in some key areas. Uh, Tim Moore was talking this week that uh, he seemed to think that uh, the budget picture might, might have a little bit more flexibility in that. But uh, yesterday I heard caution from the House uh, head budget writer, Nelson Dollar. I asked him, you know, are we going to see pay raises uh, coming out in the next few days, and his answer was, well, we've got to be cautious because we've got extra money, yes, but it can't be used for recurring expenses, i.e. salaries. It's got to be for one-time stuff. So he seemed to be setting the stage for perhaps not what some employees might be hoping for out of a $400 million surplus year. And as you mentioned, this all then has to head to the Senate, where everything could end up different. Is that right, Lynn Bonner? That's exactly right. The Senate has a practice of taking big House bills and completely rewriting them. I mean, we saw this with the incentive bill. Um, we've seen it in the past with the budget bill. They have their own ideas on how, uh, where the money should go. So um, look for significant changes once the House passes its budget uh, between the House budget and the Senate budget. And so as we head out into a break, let's listen to the Senate leader uh, Phil Berger talking about his priorities for the coming period. And after years of tight budgets, our, our reserves are severely underfunded. We need to raise our rainy day fund to a minimum balance of $1 billion this year. Second on uh, next, we need to increase the Medicaid reserve to the $350 million that will be necessary to fund our transition to a Medicaid reform package. Next, we must provide hundreds of millions of dollars for the repair and renovation fund to begin work through the billion dollar plus backlog of repair needs in our state. And those are needs at our state universities, our state buildings, and other facilities. And we will fulfill the promise we made two years ago to help attract the best and brightest to our classrooms by moving starting teacher pay up to $35,000 per year this year. Finally, we must enact comprehensive economic development policy, a comprehensive economic development policy that continues to reduce the tax burden on our existing citizens and businesses while allowing North Carolina to continue to do jobs against our neighbors. Social Security believes the integrity of our programs is important. To protect the people we serve and the services we offer, we use many tools to identify, prevent, and stop fraud. We identify fraud by using tools that predict the chance of fraud happening. We also have stiff penalties that discourage people from committing fraud. Social Security has zero tolerance for fraud and so should you. If you suspect someone is committing Social Security fraud, report it online at http colon slash slash oig.ssa.gov slash report or call the Social Security Fraud Hotline at 1-800-269-0271. And we're back with, on the Domecast, our weekly look back and ahead in North Carolina government and politics. I'm Andy Curlis with the News and Observer. We are here with Lynn Bonner and Colin Campbell of the News and Observer and Ben Brown and Patrick Gannon of The Insider. We're going to a segment we call Headliner of the Week. 
I'm giving each of them 45 seconds to nominate a headliner of the week, explain why they think that person is deserving, and then we'll decide who it is at the end. Let's start with Colin Campbell. I'll start with you. You have 45 seconds. Who was the headliner of the week? Well, I'm going with Commerce Secretary John Scavarla. You know, on Monday with the Volvo announcement out and the bad news about that, it would be easy for someone in his position to just kind of downplay the news to say, you know, we've got other potential employers in the pipeline. We're, we're working to get jobs. Instead, he actually sought out the media at the uh, big Dorothea Dick signing event Monday morning to uh, offer some tough talk about uh, economic development incentives and the, pretty much blaming the legislature for uh, failing to pass some sort of incentives package and said that we're just simply we're not in the game uh, at all to attract Volvo to this state as opposed to South Carolina. Uh, and he then sort of raised the bar saying that we shouldn't uh, even have a cap on incentives at all, that he'd like to do 100 of those a day and you know have no real restrictions on how he does that. Seems like his tough talk may have gotten results the next day the governor. Ding! I'm, I need a bell. <laughs> That's 45 seconds. I hear, I hear you. Okay, I'll so that sentence later. Go ahead. <laughs> so John Scavarla for going on the offensive, right? Okay, so Lynn Bonner, who was the headliner of the week? I'll vote for Angie Sly. It's not very often a retired middle manager uh, makes big headlines, but she did this week uh, when an investigative audit came out showing that she hired as temps uh, relatives, people she knew, people from her church. Um, legislators were talking about it afterwards. Um, Governor Pat McCrory was called on the carpet for it. So, yes, Angie Sly uh, will be the headliner. My vote for headliner. What was the amount wasted according to the audit? 1.6 million. 1.6 million dollars. People who uh, weren't qualified for their jobs, excessive overtime, etc. Friends and family. Yes. So Angie Sly, headliner of the week on the friends and family audit. Okay, so Ben Brown of The Insider, 45 seconds. Who was the headliner of the week. Right, I'm going to go with uh, Jim Fulgham, the late Jim Fulgham. He's, of course, the namesake for the Jim Fulgham Teen Skin Cancer Prevention Act, which the legislature gave final approval to this week. So it's becoming law. It basically says that if you operate a tanning bed, you can't let anyone younger than 18 use it. Bills like this go back years and years. Uh, Jim Fulgham, Wake County Republican, he really got behind it when he took office as a legislator in 2012. He died in 2014 after a short battle with cancer, didn't get to see the bill pass. Uh, this year, we saw the Jim Fulgham Teen Skin Cancer Prevention Act in both the House and the Senate. The House bill passed this week, went to the governor, and it's becoming law. All right, so former Representative Jim Fulgham, headliner of the week. The tanning bill is on its way to the governor as we record this. That's right. And let's talk to Pat Annan of The Insider. Who is the headliner of the week? This was a tough week because of all the focus on the budget, but I'm going to go with uh, Governor Pat McCrory. Um, two weeks ago, he was uh, he was loving life as governor, uh, finishing up the unemployment debt payoff to the federal government, uh, touting the, the surplus in, in the state budget, uh, and signing you know the the deal for the Dorothy Dix property, the sale uh, to Raleigh. This week, he was answering answering or doing much tougher things, I guess, answering questions about why the state lost another auto plant, um, in the DHHS audit that, that Lynn just mentioned, the scathing audit of his uh, DHHS agency, and then the House is pretty much killing his main uh, government efficiency reform program. 
I guess uh, given these two weeks, it just shows the ups and downs of a governor's life. All right. Ding. I need a bill. Uh, that was right on the nose. So, okay, so Pat McCrory, governor, Pat McCrory for being a governor and the ups and downs, the up one week, down the next week, uh, life of a governor. So I have to decide, I guess, now who the headliner of the week was. And, Pat, did did we go with uh, your person last week? Uh, yes, you did. Oh. Um well, I have a soft spot for uh, former Representative Jim Fulgen, but I think the headliner of the week was Governor McCrory. Um, it was interesting to see how he handled the week after the previous week that he had. It was the highs and the lows, and it was what it's like to be a governor. And, of course, at one point we heard the governor having to mention who the other governors are that he's competing with. And so as we head out, let's listen to Governor Pat McCrory talking about who he has to compete with. And I know him well. I know Nikki Haley and Bill Haslam and, and uh, Rick Scott. They are tough competitors. And they're fighting for jobs just like we are in North Carolina. So we need your help. The legislature needs your help. I need your help to take bold action to ensure that we have a package available so when myself and John Scavarla and you go out and recruit industry because you're a part of this team, whether it be in the East, the Piedmont, or the West, that we have a clear and concise and consistent message that can be moved on with speed and, and, and within a strategic way to ensure that we have long-term jobs for the future. You've been listening to The Domecast, a production of the News and Observer and the Insider State Government News Service. You can keep up with the conversation by reading Under the Dome in the Daily Print Edition or online at newsobserver.com. The Insider is found online at ncinsider.com.